All right, well, we're gonna start a new series here this morning, and we're calling this series Grow. See, this series comes from a place in me of not, not really making sense out of everything that's going on, having a hard time making sense out of the chaos around me. How many of you guys have just, your head's been spinning a little bit through all this, trying to make sense of what's happening around you? How many of you guys, if you're honest with yourself, it has just created uh, just this, this rising up of all these emotions in you? It has for me, just tons of these emotions, just raw emotions coming out of me through all of this. And uh, I've, I've realized just the, the, the gamut of emotions that, it, that we've gone through just together and uh, maybe not together because we've been having to distance, but just anger uh, of what's going on or, or maybe irritability. How many of you guys have just been a little bit more irritable? You don't need to raise your hand for that one, but I'll go ahead and raise mine. Um, just been more irritable through this and you can't really figure out why, but you're just frustrated or or maybe just a little depressed. I mean, I was, I was, I've been making the joke all morning as people come like, this is why I've been a little depressed is I'm, I wasn't around people and I love people and getting around people again, just the, that's how God made us and, and just the, the emotion of that even and the drag of that and just what's happening in our nation is creating a lot of raw emotion. And so what I've been really doing more, more often, and, and I, I talked about it last week, if you listen to that message, is I've been taking this to the Lord a lot more. And I've been, uh, I, I, the staff, by the way, we have an incredible staff here at Crosspoint. As you guys know, we have uh, Pastor Luke coming from Texas for our Milton <laughs> Campus pastor position. Come on. <laughs> Telling you, man, he is a man of God who loves Jesus, who loves to pray, and who loves to seek his presence. You're gonna love him. Uh, and then we have Pastor Annie, who's in uh, Louisiana, who just, they just got their new baby. And so they're going to, yeah, come on. Yeah. And so they're, they're just, uh, just overjoyed and they, they have a lot of just emotions going on in them too. And they're, they're going to have to be down there a little bit. The baby was born a little early. So uh, they're, they're going to be there through the month of June. And so, uh, and then I, I really felt like I, in the midst of all this chaos, I need to, I need to make sure that I stay healthy. And so I decided once a week that I'm going to this prayer cabin that's about an hour away. And I, I just told the staff, I just, I need to do it. I need to get away. I need to seek the Lord and, and just make sure that I don't get sucked into all of this too myself. And so the staff has just been carrying a lot of extra weight. So can we give it up to the staff here at Crosspoint? If you're on staff at Crosspoint, can you just stand up uh, here this morning just so you guys kind of know who your staff is? Amber's back there. A few more. A little around here. Yep. Gina. They're just, they're able to do this. But I've been, I've been able to get, get away and, and to ask that question to the Lord of what is going on and what's the point of all this and what do you want the church to do through this? What do you want me to do through this? Uh, it just all seems so hopeless and depressing. Have you guys had those conversations with the Lord? I have. And uh, one of the things I just keep on getting back over and over, church, is I wanna use this so that you can grow. I want you to grow, Kevin. Regardless of what comes at you, the troubles, the trials, the turmoil, the distresses, the confusion, I want to use all of it to grow you. I wanna use this to grow the church, my bride, my body. I want you to grow. And, and as soon as I started hearing that, it was, it was like I could breathe again, church, of oh, 
okay, I can stand on that, that, that ground. I can stand on the solidness of that. God wants to use everything that's happening around us, even the chaos. He doesn't cause it, but he's gonna use it to help us grow. He wants us to grow. He wants us to grow in our wisdom and our understanding and our knowledge of him. He wants us to grow in our perseverance and our endurance. And for some of you, just like me, your endurance and your perseverance, it's being tested right now, isn't it? It's being tested. And God wants to grow that. He wants to grow your endurance. He wants to grow your perseverance. He wants to grow our love in the midst of, it just seems like everything is loveless. He wants to grow our compassion in the midst of the hardness. He wants to grow us. He wants to make us like him. He's adamant about making his people look more and more like his son, Jesus. He's adamant about it. Above our comforts, above our, our, the prosperity. And, and listen, I'm, I'm not against comfort and prosperity. I think that there's a lot of evidence in the Bible that God does want that. But above that, he wants us to grow. And he's willing for us to compromise a little bit of our comfort and our prosperity for the sake of seeing God, his people grow into being more like Jesus. Come on, isn't that a good word here this morning? So over the summer here at Crosspoint, we're going to address the areas that God wants us to grow in. Areas that I see that the body of Christ during this can use it as an opportunity to grow and be more like him. We're going to talk about how he grows us because some of the ways that he, he grows us is not the way that we want him to grow us. When you pray the prayer, God, I want to grow in you, be careful there's an answer to that, and that answer doesn't always look the way that you want it to. No, 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 guy, I want you to grow me, but man, I need to stay comfortable during this growth. I don't want uncomfortable growth. And one of the things when I was away in the, the, the prayer cabin, what I realized, uh, and, and I, haven't, I haven't really researched this out, so you guys, for you guys that are like, you know, the fact checkers, just, you know, bear with me. But one of the things I realized is nothing that is birthed into this earth is done so without some pain. The seed for plants have to die before they grow. Us, we were born into this earth. It took pain. Ladies out there? Huh? Any ladies? No? No pain? I knew it. I knew it. You guys been? No, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> oh, there's people here. I can do that in front of the camera without getting stoned. Can't do it here. But I'm realizing that anything that you see when it comes to life and growth, it usually it usually requires this, this birthing through this pain, through troubles and trials. Even, you know, if you go get an education, it was painful to complete four years of college when you only had the, the strength for two, you know what I'm saying? And you're just like trying to muscle it out. But the growth that comes through that, even when you do educational things like that, it's painful, but it grows something. And I, I see in this all over scripture where the apostle Paul, his heart for the church was to grow. And it just, that's what came off the pages at me as, I was, as I've been studying this out and looking at this. When you read the epistles and when you read Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, right away it almost seems like he always starts off with a prayer, oh, that you would grow. Oh, that you would grow. The apostle Paul, he longed for the people of God to grow to grow in all these areas that I'm talking about. It's everywhere in the Bible. Jesus talks about things that grow and things that don't grow. The Apostle Paul, things that grow that don't grow. And so here's one of them here this morning that we're gonna focus on. And uh, 
Pastor Amber already primed the pump a little bit for me on this, but we're gonna talk about this concept of love, and it comes out of one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. The Apostle Paul prays this in Ephesians 3.16. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, aren't you glad we serve a God with unlimited resources, that he would empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Boy, do we need that. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, cross point. Though it's too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that come from God. So the, here's, the, here's the title of this morning's message. Let your love grow deep. Let your love grow deep. I hear couples who have been married for decades, they'll say this, our love has grown deeper for each other. So just to see if this theory holds true, if you've been married for 20 or more years here this morning, raise your hand if you have believed that and you have said that and you're convinced of that, that your love has grown deeper for each other. Go ahead and raise your hand high. All right, look at that. Come on, let's celebrate these couples here this morning. I knew that was gonna be risky if one raised their hand and the other one didn't. I would be like, I think I might have created a conversation starter from the way home from church. <laughs> we'll see how good their conflict skills have gotten over these years. <laughs> I remember being newly married and thinking, your love grow deeper. No way. How's that even possible? Because when I was engaged to Kristen as we were first married, I, I, I just felt so much love for her. I think I can't feel any more love for her. And uh, she actually made fun out of me one time. Because when we were dating, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. I'm just going to go there and say it. I said, I said, oh, Kristen, my level meter is broke. <laughs> I know. I'm quite the romantic, ain't I? <laughs> so she then decided to get me a thermometer that was broke. And she said, my level meter is broke. And she wasn't as like, that was so endearing. She did it to make fun out of me. So that made me feel good. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't understand that though. How, how could your love grow deeper? What I realize now is that I really didn't understand love when I was 20 years old, about ready to get married. I didn't understand that there was all these different kinds of love because the English uh, version of love is very limited. In the Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament, it uses four words for love. And one of them means uh, it's eros, which is sexual love. Don't need to explain that one. And then there was uh, friendship love and uh, family love. And then there's the feeling of love. It's these different definitions. And then there's a fourth one, which is God's love, and that's agape love. See, I didn't, I didn't get that. So when someone said love deeper, I'm thinking, I can't feel any more love because I was operating underneath the wrong definition of love. Not that you, feelings are bad and not that it's good to have feelings that, but I didn't understand agape love. And so I wanna just clarify God's definition of what his love is. It's God's love. It's agape love. It's unconditional and freely given. 
unconditional, which means it doesn't have conditions to it. I will love you if dot, dot, dot. If you do this, then I will love you. It doesn't have those conditions. That's not God's love. It's unconditional. Agape is born just, isn't just born out of emotion or feelings. There it is. That's where I missed it. Or familiarity or attraction, but from our will to choose love. It's our will to choose love, even when we don't feel like loving. Agape requires faithfulness, commitment, sacrifice without expecting anything in return. And this is why you couples that have been married 20 plus years, why you were able to raise your hand because you have been committed. You have sacrificed and you have been faithful one to another. And that's why your love has grown. And and I, I just need you guys to look at me here this morning. I'm convinced that if there's nothing else that you accomplish in your life except to love someone or to love people with agape love, I believe it's enough. That when you stand before the Lord one day and you give an account for your life, he's not gonna say, were you successful in your business deals? No? Oh, mm. He's not gonna do that. He's not gonna look at you failed at this and you failed at that. The measurement of our lives is gonna be how well We love with God's love, not our own love, with God's love. And if you can say, Lord, I love that spouse you gave me with your love, that agape love. Lord, I love my kids that way. I love my family that way. I love the church that way. I love the the broken world that way. If you can say that on that day when you see Jesus face to face, I promise you, he will say back to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. He's not gonna care about how successful you were in your job only in the fact that you reach people with God's love in your job. The measurement by which our world measures success is not the same as God's. God's measurement is agape love and how much we gave of his love. That's the measurement. See, God wants to make us rich with his love and surround us with people that love us like this. Some of you are desperate to be loved with this agape love. It's available for you. You're worth it. You're of great value to the king. He's already shown it once on the cross that you are worth that unconditional agape love. Now, if I would ask you, should we love each other like that? I bet every one of you would say, maybe, maybe. I don't know. Depends on the circumstance, situation, who we're talking about. You know. Every one of us say, absolutely, we should love like this. Absolutely. Even non-Christian world would say, absolutely, we should love. But then when I'd ask, how well do you do at that? That's when we'd go, well, uh, well, I mean, uh, is there a game on this afternoon? I'd really need to get there. Where we get a little bit nervous about that because we realize that we fall short when it comes to loving in this sort of way. And I think that all of us would admit at times we've struggled loving like this. And I wanna give what, there's a lot of reasons why, but I wanna give what I believe is the biggest reason why we struggle with loving with this agape love, God's love. And it's in Matthew 24, 12, Jesus is talking about the end times. And he hits on this agape love. He said this, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. Here's the threat to our love growing deep, and that is our love growing cold, church. Now, I normally don't address um, current events and issues of the day. Honestly, I normally kind of steer around them. 
I avoid them. I'll, I'll talk in generalities with it. And honestly, it's because like, I don't want to, I don't want to take the heat if I'm completely honest with you. This morning, I'm going to face, just go at it head on what's going on in our nation right now and speak to us as followers of Jesus Christ and what we're commanded to do. And, and I'm going to address it in a way that may be uncomfortable for you. And so I just, I'm not doing it to, to point fingers at you. I'm not doing it to, to make you feel uncomfortable. I'm doing it because I care about you. I care about the church and I do love you deeply. And so I'm gonna address what's going on because I know it's on most of your guys' hearts and mind of what you're seeing in the nation with this uh, COVID-19 and now with the riots. And so you guys ready? Should we just, let's just go right at it. And let's, let's look at, and I, I'm, what my goal is to get you guys to do what Jesus always did. The religious leaders were trying to get him to think like him and then the government, the Romans were trying to get Jesus to think like them and his disciples wanted Jesus to think like them. And Jesus says, no, 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 my eyes are fixed on the Father and on a different kingdom. And so it created all sorts of problems with these people because he, wouldn't, he wouldn't take sides with them. And so that's what I'm wanting us to get off of this whole thing of taking sides. And I want us to set our eyes on God's kingdom this morning, looking at the Father and what he wants to do. I want to read out this book that I finished uh, recently, The Pathway to Powerful. It says it so well. I thought about just hitting on the points. So I thought I can't say it any better than this. She says this, the idea of growing cold is a picture of slowly cooling off over time, like putting something hot in the refrigerator. Jesus is not talking here about the love of the world growing cold, but the love of his followers. Those who claim to believe in him, for whom love is a true mark of belonging to him, John 13, 35. There's a warning implicit in this verse. When lawlessness or sin is increasing around me, it creates a threat to my love. Lawlessness is the, is the contempt and violation of, God, of the law of God when people turn away from following God's ways and choose things that violate his principles. We are surrounded by lawlessness at different levels, globally, nationally, locally, and also on a personal level in our families and friendships. We see it in the government, in media, in the entertainment industry, and all around us in our churches workplace, and homes. Lawlessness is scary, painful, and offensive, isn't it? And some of those raw emotions of what's going on, it's offensive to you. Whether you're on the side where you look at what happened in Minneapolis and the, the, the agency or the, the police that's supposed to uphold the law breaks the law and ends up having a guy killed because of it, that's offensive to so many of you. And it's painful, and it's scary, because you're thinking if they could violate it there, where else can they violate? So the response is offense. I'm offended at that. That's lawless. And then you have the other side of it, where some of you are so offended. You, you see it as so scary. You're, you're so bothered, and it's so painful to see businesses looted, uh, stolen out of, theft, and then lit on fire. It is so offensive to you to watch that. And a lot of times we usually fall on one side or the other. We're, we're, we're defending one side and we're, we're, we're pointing our finger at the other side mad. And now we got a country divided because everyone's taken sides over it. But let me tell you, all of us are offended at the lawlessness of what's happening. Whether you're on the, against the cops or whether you're for the cops you're do, or whether you're against the people who are looting or for the people who are looting, you get my picture is you, you're mad at the lawlessness, just like what Jesus said. 
gonna get mad. And, and here it is, it's a, it's a trap. Let me keep on reading. It creates a very deceptive trap. The Greek word for offense means a trap and a stumbling block. By tempting us to react to sin by sinning ourselves. We feel justified and righteous when we get angry, offended, mistrustful, accusing, controlling, judgmental, punishing, or pessimistic about others' poor choices. We take to social media to vent our opinion about those we oppose. We share our judgments with others and move into gossip and slander. Or we simply hold negative judgments and withdraw from others in our hearts. And the whole time we're doing this, we fail to recognize that we're sinning by turning our love off and allowing it to grow cold. We play right into the devil's hand. We feel justified in, in standing against that lawlessness. Not too long ago, a person I cared about did something that really upset me. Without stopping to think about it, I began to vent my frustration to a couple other people. Eventually, we reached a point in the conversation we were no longer just talking about what he had done. We were talking negatively about him, negatively about him as a person. I was concluding that he was arrogant and selfish, uncaring about how he affected those around him. In my frustration, I had judged the motive of his heart and was sharing it as if it was fact. Church, I've done this. I've done this to people in the church. That's embarrassing for me to have to admit that, but it's true. I've done this at a, at a government level. Our last president, man, I, I remember driving in the car and I said this, and I've, I, I, I'm, I was just, I'm gonna choose to go for it here this morning. I said, Lord, I do not like that man. I do not like, he is offensive to me. And the Lord dealt with me this very thing. Because I, I, I said, Lord, he is arrogant and selfish. And the Lord, I, I, the Lord dealt with me because this is what I, I heard the Holy Spirit speak back to me. Kevin, I love President Obama just as much as I love you. Some of you guys are extremely offended at our current president because you see him as being arrogant and selfish. And you know, there's probably some truth behind that. But the response of being so offended, it turns off our love. It turns it off. And we let the lawlessness allow our hearts to grow cold and our love to grow cold and Satan wins. When we fall for the trap of offense, we're embracing the belief system that people who, must, or sit, who sin must be judged and punished. We are seeing them through a lens that is completely opposed to the way the Father sees them. His response to a world caught in lawlessness was not to send a punisher, but a savior. His own son. His sacrificial love became the standard for everyone. We are to walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. Romans 5 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were looting stores and stealing and being lawless, Christ died for me, for you. While we were the ones who had the knee on the neck, so to speak, choking out life, Christ died for them. Christ died for us when we were doing that. When we were sinning like that, he chose in our worst moments, when we were sinning the most, when we were the most lawless to come to this earth and save us, to save me. Paul said, of whom I'm the worst of all sinners. He knew it. And church, my concern even how God is dealing with me right now. He is breaking me down in this. Is that when I look at the news and I see the lawlessness, how quick we are to judge, how quick we are to throw stones, 
how quick we are to want to punish that. God didn't send a punisher in our sins. He sent a savior. And he's asking that the people of God would have the same heart of love for those that are walking in lawlessness. We're entrusted to be the very carriers of the love of God. Do you know that? He's entrusted us to carry this agape love. The worst thing that we can do as followers of Jesus Christ is to turn it off on a world that desperately needs it. Who else is gonna give it to them, church? If we sit in our churches and turn it off and get sucked in, I'm, but I'm seeing this just everywhere. I'm seeing it in marriages and families where love is growing cold and just turning it off. My spouse did that and therefore just the, the firing away at each other. I see this in our churches at large, not just ours. I can't believe some of the stuff that I'm hearing in the body of Christ. I mean, pastors putting in, put in these no-win situations. If you open up the church, I'm leaving. If you don't open the church, I'm leaving. Do you realize how impossible it is to lead a church when you have that sort of lack of agape love, faithful and committed? It is so hard to lead when, when you have this, this polarization happening in our own body and thinking, what has happened with us? Why can't we not love with this agape love and let love cover a multitude of sin? Why can't we come with just a desire to, to love each other this way? Guys, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm the worst. I've been doing this. God's been dealing with me. I'm seeing this in our nation. The lawlessness, it's sucking us into sin ourselves. We're falling right in the trap of the enemy. I've allowed this. Through all this mess, I've let my love grow cold. And that's what God's dealing with me at the cabin. Mad at the lawlessness and sin, I end up sinning myself by judging and being unforgiving and turning off the spigot of love. I have not sought to understand the trauma of what people are going through. I've not sought to understand the trauma of people groups and what they're going through. I've not... I've not sought to understand and be compassionate and have empathy of the pain, regardless of whether you think it's true, the pain that black people are feeling in Latinos and Hispanics and other minorities. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go there. Why, why not? I'm already just letting it have it. The thought came to me during the whole border stuff three years ago, when you guys saw images of people climbing over the border what was your thought? Was it these are, these are valued people of God? God loves them so much. He has so much compassion, empathy, and he has a plan and a purpose for their life. Or was it they are invaders and they are less than? I'm, I'm just gonna stop there, but God is dealing with me. The way that I'm viewing things, how I've turned off my love, and I've jumped into a political situation right away. That is, and if, if the church turns off their love, the world's in real trouble. You guys say the world's in trouble, you're right. But as long as the church stays strong, we're gonna be okay. But if the church put, turns off its love, now we're in trouble. Now we're in trouble. If we can't love the least of these, 
if we can't protect the, the community of believers, of even minorities in our own church and love them well and have compassion, empathy, and understanding, we're in real trouble. That's why Paul said, don't disregard different parts of the body of Christ. Don't look down upon them. Don't think that they're less than. We need each other, even, how, even from a racial standpoint and, and how we view each other. We need each other. We need each other. When the world's dividing us, we as a church will unite and we're not gonna get stuck in our little political bents. Amen, come on, come on. We need the Holy Spirit to check us. If not, we're in danger of letting our love grow cold. When we turn off our love, we start devaluing and dehumanizing people. We start devaluing, and I know that word is so strong, dehumanizing, but I'm telling you it's true. We do it based off of actions, race, ethnicity, and political party. We convince ourselves that they're less than, very subtle ways, inferior doctrine, inferior intellect, inferior social standing, inferior work ethic. This is how all genocides, wars, racism, and slavery has happened in our world is because of the dehumanization little by little. They're less than. You might be thinking, Kevin, you've, you've lost it. I've never heard you talk like this. You've fallen off the train. I thought, I thought you were better than this, maybe. But I'm just gonna talk from my own personal experience. When I treat people poorly, I have already minimized their worth and value in my heart. I've already dehumanized them because there's no way I can look at someone and say, God loves that person so much. He sees them with great value and worth and they are a prized possession to the king and talk bad about them at the same time. You can't do it. Light and darkness don't co coincide. You can't have them hand toge together. So anytime we start bad-mouthing people and people groups, we have already lost the battle. We've dehumanized, we devalue them because you can't hold them up in value and at the same time, see them as a prized possession of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. Here's the thing. Jesus said that lawlessness is only gonna get worse, which means our temptation to turn off our love, it's only gonna get stronger. It's only gonna get stronger. See, once we turn off our love towards someone or towards a group, we have lost the ability to influence them with God's love. As soon as you turn off the spigot of love towards that group of people or a person, you've lost the ability to influence and you have now lost the ability to influence and to, and to reconcile someone that Christ came and died for came and died for them, and yet we cut them off. I cut them off. Let me ask you some questions. Can you identify areas where you have turned off your love and let it grow cold? Have you turned off your love towards your spouse or family members because of their sin? Have you turned off your love towards one another right here because they hold a different view than you, a doctrinal view, a political view, maybe a parenting view? You see, you have devalued them. I can't believe they parent like that. Oh my gosh, I parent so much better than that. I, I knew everything about parenting until I had kids. <laughs> when I was a youth pastor, I knew how all, everyone should have parented. And then I was like, oh, this is hard. <laughs> we needed to laugh, didn't we? That was getting pretty intense. <laughs> have you watched your government, seen lawlessness, and respond to that sin by sinning yourself and turning off that love? Have you turned off your love towards another believer because they voted different than you did? And you, couldn't, you just couldn't comprehend that. And you thought for sure it was less than. Their Christianity has to be less than if they voted that way. I recently had a pastor friend tell me, if we're not careful, America will only have red churches and blue churches. Yeah, Republican churches and Democrat churches. Sounds like straight out of the playbook of the devil, if you ask me. 
uh-uh, not here, not here at Crosspoint. Let's not let this, guys. Let love cover a multitude of difference. Let's turn back to Jesus. I love what Jesus said, his two great commands in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. Teacher, which is the most important commands in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. Church, are you ready to join me in turning our love back on, letting the spigot be wide open, and letting our world experience this agape love? I am. I am. Well, here it is. This is how this happens. We have to experience God's great love for us. We have to experience. If we don't experience it, we can't give something we don't have. And let's experience it again and again and again. Paul says, may you experience the love of Christ. You know, I'm telling you, you always smell like the environment and the place that you hang out the most, where you reside in. When I worked on the farm, guess what I smelled like? I smell like a lot of poop, except farmers, they don't accept poop because they seem like it's like a weak thing to say poop. You know probably the word, but that's what I smell like, right? Because I spent 12 hours a day on the farm. Guess what happens when you spend a lot of time with Jesus and prayer, reading your word, worship, gathering together with other encouraging believers who are spurring one another on. You start having the fragrance of heaven. You start smelling like agape love and the world starts noticing. And that's why the Bible says they will know that we are Christians by our love for one another. And they'll be drawn towards it because it's a sweet smelling fragrance. And they're not gonna look at it and be like, oh, the church is just like the rest of the world. They're all divided over these issues too. They can't even get along. These people coming in and out, going, dividing all over these issues. Why would I wanna be part of that? I'm already in this world. I don't need any more of that. But what if we were the opposite? What if we loved each other well? Wouldn't that be attractive to the world where there's division everywhere and the body of Christ is united like no other? Wouldn't that be attractive? I'd wanna be part of it. As we approach the end times and the lawlessness becomes worse, it's going to require us to get away with Jesus more so that our love grows deeper, not colder. Here's a second way this has to happen. We must let God examine our hearts. Please don't be so quick to say, I'm not that, Pastor Kevin, I'm not that. No, I love them. That's not in me. See, I played this game for 33 years, telling myself, no, I'm not. Abs- no, absolutely, no, no. And I wouldn't let God have access to my heart and really examine And I love this scripture in Psalm 119, 29. Keep me from lying to myself. Isn't that the truth? I'm so good at lying to myself. No, I'm not like that. No, 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 no. I don't know the truth until I open myself up and say, God, go ahead and examine me and then give me the report. Look at this in Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me the way of everlasting life. It's like we're coming to our God as if he's a doctor and we say, all right, go ahead and do a full body scan, full examination of my heart, my mind. And then when we do that, we say, okay, now I need to know the report, God. What's, what's the report of that examination? And it's as if God comes in with the paper and said, all right, here's the examination that came back on your heart. And by the way, it's not all bad. He, there's a lot of really, really awesome godly stuff in all of us. And he's gonna encourage you and build you up. And don't let the accuser, the devil beat you down and get into self-pity and self. There's a, you have the spirit of the Lord inside you. God loves you dearly. The first things that you're gonna hear out of his mouth is affirmation. He's gonna tell you that. But then there's also the areas that he said, okay, the report, the examination showed up that this is where you need to repent. This is where you've allowed your heart to get cold. This is where you've turned off your love. 
And God's not mad at you. He gets it. He lived in this world too, and this world's harsh, people. It's harsh. He lived here, and so he knows, and he's gonna draw you back. He's already forgiven you. There's no condemnation in Christ. And now when we let our love you start blossoming like that. This, this, is, this is what God calls us to do. I want you to have your love grow deep in loving your enemies. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. And then here's the second one. This is the final one here this morning. We need our love to grow deep. Let our love grow deep in loving each other. That's the church. Romans 12, 10 says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Faithful committed, sacrificial, and unconditional love. When another believer has a different opinion, view, or political bent than you, when they see this virus different than you, when they see the riots different than you, I want you to honor them as a prized possession of the king. I want you to honor them as having great value and great worth even when you disagree with them. Can you do that, church? Can we honor each other that way? Can we see each other with great value and worth even when we're in this place of, I just don't see it your way? Can we start seeking understanding? See, this gets personal for me. I, I, not all of you know my story of how this all happened, of, of how I ended up here. But I gave my life to the Lord when I was 16 years old. And after I got saved, I started to ask the question. I came from this very small town, Cuba City, Wisconsin, 2,000 people. I started to ask the question, why did it take until 16 years old before I heard the true gospel? I thought you had to do works in order to get to heaven. And then my youth pastor said, no, 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 Kevin, it's not by works lest any man should boast. It's a free gift of God. And it just blew me away. But why did it take until I was 16 years old before I heard the true gospel? Where are the churches? And I was asking this when I was a teenager. Where, where are the pastors? Why aren't, they coming, why aren't they coming to my village? Why aren't they coming to my town? And I found out the answer years later is because when you go to a city of 2000, there's no money and there's no fame. I mean, just to be a little cynical here, you don't get the book deals when you pastor in Cuba City, Wisconsin. You don't get the record deals either. There's no recognition. And, and, and it's tough sledding financially. And so when I came to Crosspoint, when I came to college, and I saw this pastor, Pastor Russ, talking about, we are here to reach our communities and we mean business. And we're gonna go into these small cities and we're gonna proclaim the gospel and we're gonna be a life-giving church. It made me almost start weeping because I think he, he cares about my people. He cares about my people. He cares about the, the, the farmers, the, the, just the, the salt of the earth people that are in these small towns that nobody else knows about. He cares about them. And he knows there's no money and there's no fame in these little towns. And I was just all in. I was all in. I was like, yes, this is it. And then there was talk about, well, we could just make Whitewater bigger and bigger and bigger. We'll just draw it in. And Pastor Russ says, no, we're going to those cities because we're gonna have worship services there that are gonna invite the presence of God when the people of God will rise up and worship him. And we're gonna worship and we're gonna pray and it's gonna attract heaven. It's gonna attract angelic activity. It's gonna attract the presence of God in such a way it's gonna change the atmosphere. I'm all in, yes. 
And then I look around at Crosspoint when I first started coming and I, some people are raising their hands and some people are standing quietly and, and some people are jumping around, some people are just still and, and some people believe this and some people believe that. And I saw all this, this racially diverse, all the different colors and all the different ages and ethnicities. And I thought, I have never seen a church like this. Now they're out there. Crosspoint's not the only one, but it was the first time for me that I ever saw something like that. I thought, this is cool. I want to be part of this. And so that's what we did. We went to Milton and then we went to Jefferson and we planted churches, even though it was sacrificial and it hurt and we got spiritual backlash and we had encountered all sorts of troubles. It was worth it because we wanted the presence of God to reside in those cities thicker than it ever has before. You need to know this morning that my heart has not changed. I love my cities, my cities, my region. I love these small towns. And I love that Crosspoint has a heart to say, no, we're gonna go to these small towns, even though there's not a lot of money and there's not a lot of fame, because we believe that there's people there that need to hear the good news of Jesus. We, we believe that there's people that need to experience this agape love, that they can come just as they are, young, old, middle-aged, black, white, brown, all the different diversity, and we can worship underneath the umbrella of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he can be the one that's glorified. So that's why we were so passionate about opening up services even this Sunday here. Not, we need this. Yes, the church needs it, but our cities need this. You worshiping this morning, it invites the very presence of God, the kingdom of God here. The city needs it. We need to get back into Milton and do that because the city needs it. We need to get back into Jefferson because the city needs it. We hold the keys of the kingdom, not the government, not an agency. The believers do. Jesus gave us the keys. Church, would you stand to your feet here this morning? I'm asking you to start turning your love back on and let us let our love grow deep for every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Let our love grow deep, deep, for every race, ethnicity, people group, and the police force. Let our love grow deep, regardless of what you are feeling and your stance more. Put that aside. I've been saying this when it becomes between my opinion and God's opinion, he wins. He wins. My hands are up. He wins. And he loves. It's sacred. These things are sacred to him. That's how he created us. Don't just say that we love him. Let's our actions show our love for one another. Let's turn our love back on for each other. Christians who think a little different and believe a little different than us. Let, let's turn our love back on. Let's turn our love back on for our government. And I know I'm asking for a big ask here this morning. I get it. For the people and the places of authority, I've been so humble. It is so hard to lead when the emotions of everyone are so high and when everyone has their opinion and they all want you to do their thing. It is so hard to lead. I don't care how much, how, how much you hate people in, in authority and government, it is so hard to lead. Would you please pray for them? Let's seek to understand, ask questions, have empathy and compassion and care about others' pain and trauma and not be so quick just to jump to an oversimplified solution. Let's enter into a place that Jesus did. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
while this world is sinning and lawless, we will love them. We're gonna do it. And so let's pray here this morning and then we're gonna go back into worship. And I want you to let God start examining your heart. Please don't turn me off. Please, please don't see me as just always trying to push an agenda. I'm not, I'm trying to push God's agenda this morning, agape love. I'm not trying to push a political side or a racial side. I'm pushing God's agenda. We are not of this world. We are pilgrims, we're just passing through. Let's get out of these trenches and start making peace and reconciling people to God in the name of Jesus. Let's do it. So Father, right now, we ask that you'd forgive us. Forgive us for the ways that we have let our judgments come in, where we have, instead of that mindset of sending a savior for the lawless world, we have sent the punisher and we have been the punisher, even in our thoughts. Lord, forgive us for the way that we have devalued people, where we have stolen from their worth that is sacred and it's given by you. Lord, forgive us for the way, Lord, that we have dehumanized people. Lord, where we have been so bent on our, on our home here, we have forgotten that our home is actually with you. It's not here. We're just pilgrims. And so, Lord, I'm asking that even right now you would examine our hearts and you would show us the report of any way that's in us that's not pleasing to you, that we'd be quick to turn around and say, God, I want your agape love. May the love of God be unleashed in this place. May the spigot be fully open and may everyone that leaves this place today be filled with the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Let us be filled with love this morning in Jesus' name.